Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Uh, good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, measure, beyond all measure. Because we do not look, we look not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My name is David Brunner. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're all here today on this frigid day. I want you to know, uh, as I told the nine o'clock service, that for being here today, you will receive double Jesus points. Uh, So congratulations. Yes, that's enough to get you a small ice cream cone. Um, Someone came up to me after nine o'clock and said, can you punch my card for the double Jesus points? And I, I, so anyway, um, Thank you for being here. We're so glad to worship Jesus with you together. If you're with us online, we're so glad you're with us too. We are starting a new sermon series today on Jesus' parables, especially his parables of the kingdom. Before I read some of those parables for you, let's pray together. Good and gracious God, our Father in heaven, thank you for this time to worship you, to be together and to hear your word. We pray now as we open Holy Scripture that you would inspire our hearts and minds to hear and understand what you have to say to us today. Send your spirit that we might love your word and know it and do it more and more. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the living word. Amen. Our our scripture is from Matthew 13. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as many of you know, since last fall, we've been looking at the biblical idea of the kingdom of God, and we're continuing that for a few more weeks. Our vision here at Knox is to see God's kingdom come in the Naperville area and beyond. And so with that in mind, we wanted to spend a lot of time looking at this biblical theme this year. If we want to see God's kingdom come, one of the best places we can look is not just in the Bible, but in Jesus' parables. A lot of Jesus' teaching was through parables, these simple, um, deceptively simple illustrations and stories from ordinary life, and a lot of them have to do with the kingdom of God. So a lot of Jesus' explanation of what the kingdom of God is like comes through these stories. The parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, the parable of the talents, the pearl of great price. If you know any of these, you've heard parables of the kingdom. They're about the unexpected arrival of the kingdom, the unexpected recipients of the kingdom, and the unexpected character of the kingdom. 
So I look forward to exploring this more with you between now and Lent. You may be familiar with the two parables we're looking at today. One is the parable of the mustard seed, and the other is the parable of the yeast, or the leaven. I want to share two things I think these parables can teach us. The first thing is that these parables remind us that God's kingdom has its own power. God's kingdom has its own power. That's the first thing. The second thing is they encourage us to keep working for the kingdom, even if our efforts seem small or insignificant. So those are the two things I want to talk about. First, these parables remind us that God's kingdom has its own power. What do I mean by that? The idea gets clearer if you learn a little bit more about the examples Jesus uses in these two brief parables. The first parable is about the mustard seed, which Jesus says is the smallest of all seeds and becomes quite big when it's grown. Big enough that even birds can make a nest in it. Um, I'm not much of a gardener, but I've managed to grow a tomato plant or two in my lifetime. I've never grown a plant so big that a bird could build a nest in it. Whatever we're talking about here, it's pretty sizable. I've never seen a mustard seed or a mustard plant. Some of you may have. When I think about the mustard seed parable, I think about mint, the herb mint. Uh, In the summer months, Becca and I like to keep a little bit of mint in our garden, but we're always careful to do it in a potted plant. Some of you, I think, know why. Mint grows very quickly and very aggressively. Every year around Memorial Day, we take three potted plants. We do a little basil here. We do a little rosemary here and a little uh, mint here. And then we come back in like a week, two weeks. And, you know, the, the basil and the rosemary are over here. And they're saying, hey, thank you for planting us in this pot. This is so cool. This is enough room to last us for the rest of the summer. We're just going to grow slowly. Thank you so much. And then the mint is over here. And the mint is saying, let us out. We want to take over your garden. We're going to grow everywhere, right? Last summer, the mint actually started trying to jump into the adjacent potted plant, and I had to, like, hack it away. Mustard seed is like that. There is this stark contrast between the humble origins and the enormous fruit. That's what Jesus is talking about. The other parable is about the parable of the leaven or the yeast that goes into a loaf of bread. One thing I learned this week is that when the parable says three measures of yeast, that's actually, or three measures of flour, that's actually a ton of flour. So you know those five-pound bags of flour you get at the grocery store, right? They're real heavy. You buy one, it'll typically do you for like a month or two. That's 16 of those five-pound bags are going into this bread. This is not going to fit in your KitchenAid stand mixer at home. We're talking like an industrial-sized bread mixer, right? And how much yeast do you think goes into that industrial-sized amount of flour? It's not 16 five-pound bags of yeast, maybe a cup, maybe two, right? You dump it in there, you have a little water, you mix it up, and what happens? Sure enough, the yeast does its thing. And the whole dough is leavened and transformed into something you could make bread out of. Several years ago, the New York Times published a recipe for 24-hour no-need bread. Have any of you heard of this? Does anyone know about it? I encourage you, one person, thank you. Uh, I encourage you to check it out. If, like me, you are a uh, low-skill 
bread baker. Um, as the name suggests, all you do is you take a little flour, a little salt, a little water, and then you mix in one quarter teaspoon of yeast. It's literally like two grains of yeast. They go in there, and then what do you do? You leave it alone for 24 hours. You, I think the recipe says to jiggle it at one point, but that's pretty much it. You don't do much, and the yeast works. You don't have to touch it. You don't have to mess with it. The yeast transforms this flour into this light, fluffy, delicious dough. It's incredible. When it comes to plants and to yeast, once they start doing their thing, they don't need your help. You don't have to do anything. If you see me in my backyard standing over the mint plant shouting words of affirmation, you will know I am wasting my time. That's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God has its own power. The seed grows on its own. The yeast works on its own. And when we look at it, maybe it'll seem like nothing is happening, but we can trust We can rely that God is working. This is something that Christians throughout the ages have known. Martin Luther lived in the 1500s. He was the man who started the Protestant Reformation. Some of you know that I'm Lutheran myself. I'm not trying to start anything between Lutherans and Presbyterians here today. I'm just quoting him in my sermon. When you read Luther's writings, one of the things that strikes you is this wonderful sense of the power that God's kingdom has the power that God's word has. Late in life, Luther reflected on how the Reformation got started. How did it get underway? And he says this, for God's word created heaven and earth and all things. The word must do this thing and not we poor sinners. In short, I will preach it, teach it, write it, but I will constrain no man by force for faith must come freely without compulsion. Take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. So you see, someone like Luther understands that God's kingdom has its own power. If you ask Luther, what was it that made the Reformation so successful against the papacy? He's not going to say his own brilliance. He's not going to say force of arms. He's going to say it was God. It was God working. While Luther was napping, the seed was growing. While he was drinking beer with his friends, the leaven was working. That's what these parables tell us. God's kingdom has a power of its own, and we can trust it. We can rely on it. That leads me to the second thing. Second thing I want to talk about today. These parables encourage us to keep working even when our efforts on behalf of God's kingdom, our efforts to work and witness for the kingdom seem insignificant or small. One of the challenges all of us face in life 
uh, is coming up against the limits of what we can do and achieve. Um, We only have so much time to pray every day, but our prayer lists are so long. We only have so much money we can donate, but the needs of the world are so significant. We only have so much time and energy to volunteer, and somehow we're expected to keep showing up to work as well as take care of our family and friends. When you see the extent of the spiritual and material needs in our world, it can get overwhelming. I feel overwhelmed sometimes. And the response we can offer um, can feel a little bit like holding back the tide with a teaspoon. These parables are a helpful word to us when we begin to feel that way, when we begin to feel that sense of discouragement or being overwhelmed. They remind us that a seemingly small thing, like a tiny seed or a handful of yeast, can bear results way out of proportion to its size. A tiny seed can grow into a plant that's big enough for birds to live in. A handful of yeast can turn a dozen bags of flour into this delicious bread. A handful of loaves and fishes can feed thousands of people. That's how God works. That's how God's kingdom works. God takes what we offer him, our oh-so-humble and, yes, limited offerings of prayer and time and energy and witness, and he uses them to do something quite extraordinary. There's a wonderful story about the Anglican Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Some of you know his name. He was a South African man who did a great deal to resist apartheid during the 70s and 80s in Africa. When he was a child, he was walking down the street with his mother, and a white man walking the other way tipped his hat to his mother as a sign of respect. Now, in apartheid-era South Africa, this was almost unheard of. Now, if you were black, you were required by law to tip your hat to every white person you passed. But there was no similar law about white people. And so for this white person to tip his cap to a black family was almost unheard of, quite astonishing. And so young Desmond Tutu knows this, and he turns to his mother, and he says, who was that man? Why did he do that? And his mother says, Desmond, that man was a minister. He's a man of God. That's why he did that. Desmond Tutu says in that moment, he made up his mind that he wanted to be a minister. And what's more, he wanted to be a man of God. Now, what would have happened if that guy hadn't tipped his cap to that family? I have no idea. But I know that Desmond Tutu's life was different and South Africa's life was different because of that one small gesture. Sometimes stories about Desmond Tutu and leading lights of Christianity can seem a little overwhelming. So here's another one that I I cherish. It's about my dad. Some of you know that my dad was a a lawyer for a big law firm downtown for many decades. It's a challenging environment to work, competitive, occasionally cutthroat. And I remember late in his career, he shared with me, I don't know why we were talking about it, that there were a lot of young female associates that had come to work in his office. A lot of young women just starting their career had come to work in dad's office. And I said, well, that's interesting, dad. Why do you think that is? 
and he was quiet for a minute and he said, well, David, I think there are two reasons. I think the first reason they come to work in my office is because they know they won't get sexually harassed. And the second reason they come to work in my office is because they know that if and when they choose to have kids and start a family, I'm gonna encourage them to spend time with their kids. And then he went back to what he was doing. And it was just one of those moments, I, don't, I doubt he remembers it, but I remember it. And I remember thinking, boy, thank God for that guy. Thank God for that low-key, consistent, probably invisible environment that had such an impact on that handful of people. When you follow Jesus with your words, your actions, your lives, when you witness to his coming kingdom, that has a power that is bigger than you know. And that's true not only of us as individuals, it's also true of us working together as a group. It only takes a handful of committed people to change an institution, to change a ministry, to change a school, to change a workplace, to change a community. In his book, Tipping Point, the writer Malcolm Gladwell talks about how fashion trends get started at schools. It's fascinating. He said, at a school of a couple hundred kids, it only takes a half dozen kids to start a fashion trend. A half dozen kids show up and they start wearing a particular brand of shoe or they start wearing their hair just so or they start wearing a certain kind of, I don't know, hooded sweatshirt or whatever and before you know it, it catches on. Everyone's doing it. Dozens of people, hundreds of people. And I think the same is true of the places we live and work and places we go to school, the communities we live in. If you want to change where you are, find a few friends and start working together. That mustard seed will grow. That leaven will do its thing. There are lots of examples of this. I think about Mike and Karen Trout, our friends who work and live in the North Lawndale community and lead our Y Men ministry that we partner with there. Their organization has been there for decades. They've had an enormous impact on dozens of residents of that community. They have about four employees. It's not a lot of them, but by working diligently and consistently with teamwork, they've been able to have an incredible community. I think about our elders, a group of 18 people who had such an enormous impact on the church this past year as we worked through our Isaiah 6 process. I think about the wonderful people on our Adult Discipleship Council. Six months ago, we started talking about having a trivia night here at the church. And I said, sure, great, make it happen. And they worked together diligently. They reached out to people, they planned and they worked. And last night, we had our first trivia night on a freezing night and 60 people came just because of them. Most of all, I think of the many, many small groups I've known. Some of them only five or six people who have done the amazing work needed to share the gospel, to serve the needy, and to witness to God's kingdom. Some of you have heard before about our friend Will, who attended church with us back in Pennsylvania. Will was raised Catholic. Um, he fell away from church as an adolescent when his dad went through a divorce and they stopped going to church. As an adult, Will himself went through a divorce and pretty much concluded he was never going to go back to church at all. And then he got married to a young lady, and she started bringing him to our church. And at first, he was very reluctant and did not want to be there. 
And eventually she started bringing him also to our small group that met on Sunday nights. And over the course of a year or so, we watched that kingdom of God leaven do its thing. And it was really incredible. Nothing spectacular happened. There was no moment where scales fell from his eyes or he was smitten by the Holy Spirit. He just showed up and talked to us about Jesus once a week. And he got to know us. And he realized that many of us still had questions. Many of us didn't have all the answers. Many of us were still working on flaws and issues in our life. But he also discovered that we were committed to Jesus, to following him, to trying as best we could to do his will. I remember one week when we talked about stewardship for some reason, and I could see that his mind was blown and it was really rearranging things in his brain about what Christians were like. I have no idea why stewardship did that. I wouldn't recommend talking about stewardship as an evangelistic tool, but it worked for him. And after a while, in this completely unspectacular way, he just said, okay, I'm a Christian. (laughs) And that was that. And he got up on Easter Sunday and he shared a little bit of his testimony and affirmed his faith publicly. Jesus laid hold of him. And the thing that was so cool was that he just, he did it through that group. That that ordinary group of very unremarkable Christian believers was the channel, was the instrument for Jesus to do his redeeming work in Will's life. And you know what? You can do the same thing. So sisters and brothers, remember the kingdom of God has its own power and it's gonna work through us. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Keep working and watch it work. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.